Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome into Fantasy Sports today. As we are here on Sports Grid, Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. Make sure you stay on the grid, get on the grid, as we got you here from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, talking reality sports, fantasy sports, and even gambling with everything that is going on right now as we continue our discussion about everything, simply put, Joe, that we can get our hands on, whether it's the KBO or it's soccer. When we have nothing, we make magic. That's what we do here on Fantasy Sports Today. By the way, uh, a really nice endorsement yesterday from Cal Ripken Jr. for you. I saw that uh, over on Twitter. Uh, apparently a big fan of yours. I don't know if you caught that or not, but apparently not so big of a fan of mine. But that's to be expected. However, yeah, it looks like some – it feels like we're in a moment where things are starting to get announced slowly. Things are starting to trickle out a little bit, at least with tentative plans. And I think that's a good sign. Uh, whether or not these are plans for actual games or actual games with – or sporting events with fans, without fans, that is to be determined. But it seems like at least plans for planning are at least in the planning mode. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the important thing in this sort of era that we're in, the like two months of no sports era, is especially from a fantasy standpoint and even a wagering standpoint, I simply put am just not somebody that's going to put a lot of stake into some of the things that are happening right now. Um, I'm holding out hope that, Maybe this time next week we'll have some more clarity on baseball. Uh, from the people that I'm still speaking to, they are telling me the same thing. It is all rumor and innuendo, and really nothing is unfortunately legitimate at this point. But, Joe, there does come a point pretty soon, I think, for all of the leagues, and that would include the NBA and NHL, where at least a plan is going to have to be devised. But without a plan, you got nothing. And I think there's the plan is going to be sports before fans and i think that makes sense because most of the revenue let's be honest the gates are great and all but it's about the tv revenue and if we're not getting the tv revenue and the advertising revenue and all that that's streaming through there especially teams that have their own networks like the yankees and the mets and other teams like that i think that that is the most important thing is to get sports back on television get folks who are working in the ancillary areas of sports, whether it be broadcasting or media or beat reporters, all those folks, get all of them back and working again. Uh, and then slowly but surely, one would hope that fans will follow eventually. And I think I I'm optimistic about it because I feel like we are going to get towards that sooner than later. It's always very difficult to look into the distance and see, okay, well, what's it look like and how is it is? And I think it's going to be more of a mental issue than a health issue for a long time where people might want to go, but might be a little bit afraid. I think that's going to take a longer period of time to get over for folks than necessarily when people are said, Hey, go out there. It's okay to go out there. You can now, will they actually show up? I think it's going to take a longer time for even that to happen. But the most important thing is we get sports back on broadcast television because right. that is really crucial from the revenue standpoint. Yeah. It, and that's the thing that I think that people don't realize is that when you look at it, sport by sport, People are asking, why are they rushing to come back? Why are some of the leagues trying to get back? A lot of it is because of the television revenue. Right. And that essentially is the key for the NFL, the NBA, the, uh, you know, the NHL too. But it's a lot different for college football. I still have some concerns with, and again, when it, when it comes to betting futures or anything like that, you certainly could get them in now or you could wait. 
But my advice is on all the college stuff would be to wait because their revenue is a lot of the the fans that show up for those games. There's 100,000 yeah. people in Michigan and 100,000 people for every game at Ohio State. Well, and, but and like you're saying about it too, the SEC, uh, you know, TV deals with CBS and places like that, that is serious money. It, I mean, it is, but, but it doesn't come close to the NFL. The NFL no, is, is the king. Does. And so um, that's a big part for college. The other part of it is is that it's really hard to send a message that we're going to let student athletes play without having right. the kids back at school. So th- that is a... And um, you're not paying them. They're professional athletes. Too. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> a, di- it's a dynamic athletes. that is a little a little yeah. murky, I would say, at this point. If I had to predict, I do believe that there will be a college football season as well. But I'm not sure that they'll be able to play the full schedule. I'm not sure that this thing will start off Labor Day weekend like it always does. It just may be a matter of playing a shortened schedule, which, by the way, is pretty much no big deal for college football, considering that for most of the teams, the first couple of games are usually out of conference and they really they mean a lot in terms of uh, getting to the playoff but they don't necessarily mean a lot as far as winning their conference conference play usually for most teams will start up in late September or October so um, you know we'll certainly see what happens there as far as horse racing is concerned Joe we're waiting on the Kentucky Derby we know that it's all kind of backwards this year where the Derby essentially had to put themselves off until September and we get word out of Baltimore today that the Preakness stakes is potentially going to be held in October, and then hopefully the Belmont will come sometime late in October or November. I know a lot of people are very heavy into sports, uh, into uh, horse racing and betting, and so certainly this will give people some hope. But you talk about events where there are 100,000 people at every single one of these things. That's what the Triple Crown is. Yeah, well, I guess my question, too, is this is such an abnormal time frame, am I correct, in terms of the horse racing? So how do the horses react to this, having races so close together? I mean, I'm not we'll exactly sure. We'll have to ask sure. and find out. Yeah, because we'll I mean, that, that would be my first question from a wagering standpoint. Will the horses on, tell you? I don't know. Like, was there data that tells us, you know, that certain kinds of horses or a larger horse or a heavier horse? I have no idea. Horse racing, not my bag. But I am curious to see how it would potentially affect such a thing like that. If you're trying to do the Triple Crown in, what, six weeks? <laughs> all together, that could be a, a very, very different sort of situation than when you're having some race in the spring and then some in the summer and one in the fall. That's a very, very different training regimen, I'd imagine, as well. Dallas Morning News reports next month there is a college baseball tournament scheduled. I know that the draft is going to be held in June as well. We're waiting for the final clarification on that. Ironically, the MLB draft may be the very first MLB real event of 2020. I mean, it looks like we're trending in that direction, either five rounds or 10 rounds. But I think, I mean, basically the Dallas Morning News, it's a column and a story. And and the, the gist of it is essentially, for those of you who don't have the Dallas Morning News, is asking the question that, that is it too soon? And I think that my answer is pretty generic and the same for a lot of these situations, which is, first of all, I'm not one to judge whether it's too soon or not. But the other thing is, is that I don't feel like we've made a lot of progress knowing answers to the too soon thing at Mm -hmm. all. And I thought a couple of weeks ago we would be sitting here on May 6th and we would have a few more answers. People ask me, I tell them the same thing. I think in a couple of weeks we have some more answers, but what if we don't, you know? And that's, that's my concern with some of this stuff at this point is that if we're still unable to make a judgment call based on facts, then I don't know where we're going to be in the month of June. 
Well, the most important thing is to make sure that people are healthy, number one. You know, you can't be playing baseball if you're not alive, last time I checked. However, if there's a situation, again, where people can go out there and play safely in these environments, and those games can be broadcast, that to me is a no-brainer. That's something you would absolutely do. Uh, it's it's the fan aspect. It's the when is it safe to go and congregate in large groups again? And you have to look when you look at the map of the coronavirus map and what's gone on too. There's clearly the hot spots in certain spots, especially you know the New York, New Jersey area and some other cities, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you talk about college baseball tournaments in Texas, it's much more wide open space than it is a congested city like a like a Manhattan. So you really can compare the two. And if everyone follows the proper guidelines, then there should be a lot of guidelines in place going forward for these locker rooms, for these players, for all the things that there's testing for them. Number one, first and foremost, uh, that maybe they're tested every week just to be safe and and to go forward like that. It's fascinating. You mentioned this thing, and and I know we're up against the break, but with the college draft or the amateur draft, I should say, coming up for Major League Baseball potentially, and I know there's been a lot of rumblings about downsizing minor league baseball – is this kind of the first salvo in the shortening of the player draft, the amateur draft for Major League Baseball in the future? Because they were able to do it this year and size it down. Is this basically a harbinger of things to come for minor league baseball as there's been a lot of discussion about retracting some minor league teams or attracting whole classes of minor leagues from a financial standpoint? What's the impact potentially here? And is this like the first benchmark of that? Yeah, this this is exactly what this is. Uh yeah, all those teams that you've heard about being contracted or retracted, that's happening. Mm-hmm. The um, MLB draft is never going to be 30 rounds ever again, never going to be 40 rounds ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most it'll ever be, I think, is probably round 20. And that's going to change the way that things are done. I think it's going to hurt college kids a lot because kids who had that dream of getting drafted and then – going on and getting themselves in the pros, now they're going to have to reconsider staying in school uh, or maybe even starting another career because even this year after the draft, Joe, and whether it's five rounds or ten rounds, the maximum amount that you can pay any kid in college free agency is $20,000. I also wonder if it becomes a more digestible television event, too, as it gets sized down because, you know, the NFL draft is obviously a huge thing. Gets better ratings in the World Series. And then we have the NBA draft, which gets pretty good ratings too. Major League Baseball draft, not so much. But they've never really tried until they've about never a really. Ago. They started to do it a little bit in Secaucus, and then they've tried to grow it. But if you have instead of forty rounds, twenty, and you're able to go through maybe even the first couple rounds, or as well, you're the saying, first maybe rounds always on TV. It, it is always on TV, but I also I, want, I don't ever think that will change. I have. Well, to I kind of I kind of wonder too. Do you get to a point where uh, you're able to? maybe these kids do stay in college longer and maybe college baseball becomes more of them like the pseudo minor leagues. And then you get these players coming in at 20, 22 years old and being able to contribute a lot faster into the major leagues as opposed to the drafting the high school kid. I kind of, yeah. I, don't, well, I think college baseball is going to be most affected by this. Well, uh, talent is going to speak for itself. If you have a kid coming sure. out of high school, that's a stud. He's going to go in the draft no matter what. Um, I, I don't think anybody will ever be interested in the sixth round of the MLB draft seeing that on TV. I, I just it, there's there's too many teams, there's too many kids. It's almost impossible to know. And um, you know all the college football games, Joe, they're on TV. So you well, know, that's the big difference. Play. But even if they can just get to a point where they can get maybe the first couple rounds and and maybe start pivoting into doing it at nighttime and making it feel like a thing. Well, they've had it at nighttime the last five years. 
Well, they had it in the evening. It was like five o'clock. Last year was the first year they did it in prime time, I believe. Because I want to say every year past, it usually is a three o'clock or five o'clock start or something like that. It's kind of late afternoon, early evening in Secaucus. They and they did a good job with it. But maybe you don't do it in the studio in Secaucus. Maybe you do it like an event. Maybe you start. Well, they had it, it in Omaha. It was the college. Well, World that was this, this past year. That was the first time. But I'm saying well, they're starting. They'd be Joe. Give them a break. They're well, I mean, like take, take a. And the NFL used to do theirs at Radio City Music Hall in Manhattan, and they're doing theirs in Omaha, Nebraska. I think there's a big gap there in terms of trying to create College a College World Series is the mecca of, of the, of the end I of the I get it. Baseball this season. Is you could have the champion going and, and, right. and but NFL the NFL gets it. NFL knows it's a show. You're never going to be able to compare the two. It's not but possible. Look, you, but you every Saturday, Joe, draft. you see You're every right. single one right. of the players that it's getting drafted. Your net's never going to happen in baseball. right from that perspective. But if you start treating it like an event, that's a must-see event. It's, I think it doesn't it might matter. You're never going to know the kid from Texas high school that throws 98 miles an hour. It's never going to happen. No, never. but you might want to watch the show, and that's the point I'm saying. You might not know those kids, but you might want to get familiar with them, and it's a perfect opportunity by covering the draft at night in a primetime, cool way. Not from had it at night last few years. All right, listen, we got to take a break. We'll be right back with today in Fantasy Sports and Fantasy Sports Birthdays. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today here on Sports Grid. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, by the way, at Sports Grid. We post some really cool videos, let you know about our schedule, all of these shows that are on the air. Also, as a quick reminder, uh, Pharrell uh, is going to be live now every single day. So maybe a little bit later, just go over to sportsgrid.com, Pluto TV, Zumo TV, all the apps that we have. And, the, of course, Amazon Fire Stick gives you the ability to watch all those on television if you choose. But as we get back to some of our live programming, make sure you catch uh, Scott Farrell's show a little bit later on today as he goes coast to coast. Now, today is May the 7th, 2020. We had May the 4th be with you. Uh, on the 5th, we had Cinco de Mayo. On the 6th, well, we just kind of got past it. So uh, May the 7th, is there anything special that comes to mind, Joe, about May the 7th for you? No, May the 6th was my grandma's birthday. So a very special Happy day birthday. for grandma. Yeah, so she passed many years ago, but oh, uh, a lady. Oh, sorry about that. All right. No, no, it's nice. She would have been 106, I think. But the nice thing is that uh, she was uh, one of the great baseball ladies out there. Huge Mets fan. Used to watch the game every night and fall asleep to it. Every night on the couch. <laughs> you would see her out there passed out snoring, and I'd have to nudge her, Grandma, you're snoring, wake up. You know, she's like, I'm, I'm just resting my eyes. Right. No, May the seventh, you got to love the resting your eyes. I, I, I think I've, I've never gone with resting my eyes. I think like, I, just, like, well, I just admit it. If I'm tired, I'm going to go to sleep. There's no reason for me to lie. About it was like a weakness for that generation. That was a depression no, generation. No, but I still hear like, No, that. we never yeah. sleep. My <laughs> wife will say I'm just resting my eyes. She will say, well, we'll be watching a movie, and I'll say, are you up? She'll no, I'm just resting my eyes. I'm like, you're done. You're going to sleep. Just say it. It's okay. There's no shame in being tired. No, there is no shame in being tired. No, but May the 7th, I don't know. That's a, you know, we did have a little run there. Cinco de Mayo, and then, uh, you know, May the 4th we be did. with you. How about you? May the 7th? Anything pop up for you? Um, not, not in particular. You know, I wake up and I look at the birthdays and 
Mm -hmm. Wonder, are there going to be anything interesting? Yesterday, we had a really good one. We had uh, Willie yeah. Mays. We got Mays. to see me and Willie Mays. the picture. Oh, the picture was fantastic. You and Willie. Me and Willie at Don Shula's restaurant. I know. Full circle. That's, that's what yesterday was. Yesterday was all the pieces coming Not together. every day you get a legend. Is Willie Mays the, the – um, before we go to uh, this day in sports, I, yesterday I said somebody texted me um, yesterday. I, I said that Willie Mays is – the greatest living baseball player, I think. I mean, you could that gets debatable, certainly. But is he the greatest living uh, sports athlete after yeah. Michael Jordan? Oh, okay. I was gonna say Jordan. No, <laughs> so no, 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 uh, no. After Michael Jordan. After Michael. Come on, Jordan. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. That is that is interesting. That is difficult. I mean, I mean, is he it ahead might of be... Wayne Gretzky? Well, I'm gonna say uh, Wayne Gretzky in the NHL probably not. I mean, did anybody really win more or dominate? Like nobody Wayne... better in hockey history than Wayne Gretzky. No, oh, I would say a, Wayne that's Gretzky. That's a good debate. You know, you could actually make an argument Wayne Gretzky was more dominant than Michael Jordan uh, in terms in of sport. Over, yeah. In his sport, you could make that argument. A lot of people uh, would. you say Willie Mays is more popular than Wayne Gretzky in the States? I would. In the States, probably, yeah. I, you know, I, I asked this question yesterday. Who's the second greatest living baseball player after Willie Mays? Because we've been saying this Willie Mays thing for many, many years now. And I was just kind of curious. And you dodged the question. You didn't answer. Do you have an oh, answer? Oh, I don't remember you asking that. Yeah, uh, I said, is it Kate? You said, don't be morbid. It's his birthday. Don't wish him dead. And I wasn't wishing him dead. But uh, I don't know. Is I it Kate Griffey Jr.? Is I, it Bat Bonds? I still would say Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron? Yeah, I still would say Hank Aaron. All right. All right. I, I don't know. I mean, <sighs> Hank Aaron was great. And he Sandy was, Koufax? Well, Short career, too. It's tough. You know, I, I guess it's how you judge greatness, right? Do you judge greatness on the person who had the enormous peaks? You know, like Griffey had some huge peak years, yeah, as no, did, but you know, no, no one, knowing Hank Aaron never hit 50 home runs in a season. He didn't have any of those kind of magical runs like that. So it is a little, it's a little difficult there. I mean, I, you could argue Barry Bonds. I mean, he's the only player with 500 home runs and 500 stolen bases. Yeah, he's the best player I ever saw. Best player I ever saw, too. I mean, him and Griffey, those would be my two that I would put up there yeah. right away. Yeah, I mean, there'd be there'd be some others for me, too. Um, Tom Seaver would have to be somewhere in the top ten. He was. It's tough to put a pitcher in that category. They don't play It is, but I, got, I, I always go to uh, – not relievers, but starting pitchers i got to include. Uh, every fifth day is every fifth day. The guy out there playing nine innings, I don't know, every, every day, 162 games. Uh, you could have the argument greatest living pitcher. That's a fun argument, actually. There's a lot of them. Uh, that's a great argument, I think. All right, well, we'll have we'll to have that. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have time. Tomorrow's show. That's for sure. <laughs> all right, so let's do it. This day in fantasy sports history for May the 7th, and we kick it all the way back to 1972 in the NBA championship. The Los Angeles Lakers beat the New York Knicks four games to one. Neither of us were around for that, but certainly the Lakers had that run in the 70s as well, just like they did in the 80s, a different group. Uh, ended up winning championships for... Uh, LA and the Knicks were actually good back then, Joe. How about yeah. that? As the uh, I would say the Walt Frazier and the end of the Wills Reed Knicks, I believe, and I would assume we're talking about the Jerry West Lakers years, right? Are we in the Jerry West, or is that even post Jerry West at '72? Uh, I think it's. I think it could have been after that. I think Wilt yeah. could have been on these. I, mean, I need Brett to make clarifications on that. He's our NBA guru. Yeah. I think Chamberlain was on these. Uh, Chamberlain yeah. won nothing because they lost to. Uh, the Celtics a lot, but I, yeah. I, I believe that this was like maybe the one championship that he did win. I know he won one. Um, okay, uh, 1994, I think a lot of people remember this one, especially if you're in your 30s or you're in your 40s, but the eight seed in the NBA was always a doormat and never beat the one. 
And they shortened the series. Now they lengthen, I should say. They didn't shorten. They lengthened the series. Mm -hmm. But back way back when, in 1994, these were a five-game series. And, man, L uh, the Sonics came in as the team to beat. It was Peyton, Kemp, and all these guys. Denver snuck into the playoffs. And they ended up beating uh, Seattle in five games at the very last moment. And you see the picture there of Dikembe Mutombo laying on the ground, holding the ball up. I, I don't think there's any doubt that is a big moment in history. Everyone remembers when that happened. Absolutely. I remember I remember seeing it, and I remember it being then the next year on everything for the NBA is that moment of him holding that ball, and you could see this, the joy in his face. Uh, Matembo was a, was a terrific player, great defensive player uh, for sure, and uh, obviously a, a fun character too. I mean, he's got that Cookie Monster-esque sort of voice. Remember his Matembo. And I love that commercial with him where he keeps blocking the – was it the toilet paper in the in the uh, in the store? No, no, no. I mean, you gotta love that guy. I, I like mean, the Kevin Stumble, yeah. yeah. Do you like the three? Do you like the best three out of five, or or you prefer the four out of seven? Uh, the earlier. Well, I mean, the NBA is listen. They're just trying to get as much money as they can. So more well, games, that's the whole point. TV. We all know that's why. But I'm asking you as a fan. Do you like the three out of five and building? Uh, I yeah. I mean, I, I could go either way, but I, I mean, it, it does seem kind of pointless to have the one play the eight and just sweep in four games, but. Yeah, I guess yes. I would have. I would like to see the first round of the NBA be five games. Yeah, I think it would be better to be shorter too. I think it. I think it has build then. I think when you go over to four, it, it becomes almost like a marathon. You shouldn't feel like a marathon in the playoffs. You should feel like a sprint. And I think the three out of five is a little juice to it. Yeah. No, I agree. But we'll never uh, see it. too much no, money. No, too much money. Kidding. Too much home money. games. It's all two money. home games apiece for both those teams. Uh, the Dodgers in 2009, remember Manny Ramirez came over in 2008. He goes through this epic run, he and uh, Hanley Ramirez, and the Dodgers are looking like they're going to win a World Series, and, and Manny is just crushing it, and he puts together basically 2008, the best season he's ever had, 2009, unbelievable, and then we come to find out he's on PEDs. And this really stunk because, for me, Manny Ramirez was one of the ultimate hitters of our generation, and honestly, had this been the only thing that happened to Manny, even though it was so ridiculous, the kind of PEDs he was taking, it was like for pregnant women, some ridiculous stuff. <laughs> I mean, he got popped twice more, man. Like that, that to it's me. It's Manny. Like, Manny doesn't know. Manny's just and taking that's, that's a real shame because I like the guy. He lives in South Florida, too. But three Manny's PEDs. He's not Manny, getting in. There's no chance. You know, it's. Yeah, and I roll when, my when, eyes at that because yeah, but Joe, when you when you have rules in place and you blatantly get caught, what's nah. the difference? What's the difference? So there's no rules in place, and you have so it's okay to have uh, no integrity if there's no rules. That that's that's what you're saying. Because that's no, what I think saying. all of the, I think all of them didn't have integrity, but I think that. Right. But you, but listen, but if at the point where the league catches up and says, hey, well, look. Show me, where does it say in the guidelines of the Hall of Fame voting that if you fail the test that you're not eligible for the Hall of Fame? Now, that oh, might no, change no, some he's people's eligible. Yeah, Exactly. No. And I well, think the baseball that's Hall of Fame has nothing to do with Major League Baseball. Exactly. I understand. But, and then that's why, I mean, if, if we're talking about the play on the field, that's what it's about. It's about playing the field. Did anybody, you know, ever get suspended for fighting or suspended for other things? Suspended for, I mean, suspension is suspension. Whatever you got suspended for, you break the rules. It's a knock on your integrity to a certain extent, but potentially. Manny's a Hall of Famer. Palmero's a Hall of Famer. Bagwell's in. Piazza's in. Ricky Henderson's in. There's a lot of guys in who we have certain questions about, obviously. I have no questions about it. You're the best player in the generation you played. You're in the Hall of Fame. Stop. Manny Murray's was great. Never think that he wasn't. 
Yep, not in the Hall of Fame for me. None of the guy, none of the guys who were caught get in. Um, 2010, Jamie Moyer becomes 47 years old and is the oldest pitcher to throw a shutout in Major League Baseball. And I am 46 doing this, and I can barely uh, get through two hours. And finally, yeah, you in 2011, harder than Jamie Moyer. I just want everybody to know. In 2011, Animal Kingdom wins the Kentucky Derby, the 137th Kentucky Derby, and that is this day in fantasy sports. So. From there, we'll go over to our birthdays for today. And, of course, the list is not quite what it was yesterday because we don't – I mean, actually, we do have one uh, – maybe two Hall of Famers actually here. But let's let's kind of go through it. Uh, 1933, Johnny Unitas, who passed away a few years ago, was born. And, you know, one of the great quarterbacks of all time for sure. Played in a completely different era of football. So can't look at his numbers or stats and think that they would compare to anybody now. But he was widely regarded as that. Also played forever. Sean Marion, born in 1978. Former member, of course, of the Phoenix Suns. Was really good with them and then went on with the Miami Heat for a while. Uh, Alex Smith, of course, uh, former first pick in the NFL draft. Quarterback with the Chiefs, with the Redskins. And hopefully he can get his way back on the field. Earl Thomas, who I do think is a – actually, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, I think, when Absolutely. it's all said and done. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Emilio Pagan. I was running out of – this is this, when you look at a name and you don't see anything good, that's when you know I'm running out of and real so, estate. You know, it's May 7th and there's no sports when Emilio Pagan got mentioned. But Sorry. one quick thing about Unitas, though. Uh, it always pains me when people talk about, you know, their list of the top five quarterbacks of all time. And far too often people leave his name off of it. He's absolutely in that class because without Johnny Unitas, you don't have the modern passing game that you have in the NFL now. And to have any top five that doesn't have him, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and then for the fifth spot, you can make arguments. You could say Breeze, you could say Marino, you could say Elway. I always laugh. I think it's comical when people want to put people like Aaron Rodgers or even Brett Favre, as great as he was, in that top five of all time kind of conversation and they don't talk about Johnny Unitas. I mean, without Johnny Unitas, you don't have what we know as the modern-day NFL, which is an offensive bonanza. But that's because they were the first to really make the forward pass a thing. And once again, here we go, Don Shula again, right? Yeah. No, it's uh, – look, the game has changed so much. It's you know, comparing eras and times. It's so, it's, it's so difficult. And the other part of it, too, is that the further we get away from eras like the ones that United's played and even in the 60s and 70s, it's really hard to identify because all we did is really watch film. None of us even saw it. And a lot of the historians who did see it, unfortunately, are gone, too, some of those media members. So um, it does become a little bit of difficult of a chore. We try to do it, try to do it in baseball as well. We'll take a quick time out on fantasy sports today, but you stay on the grid. Joe and I will be right back. we got plenty more to cover here, so don't go away. We're back in just two minutes. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Get on the grid. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. We got you here till 1 o'clock Eastern. Don't forget, every single day, catch the morning after in the morning. Uh, they're doing a great job with that show. A lot of good conversation. They come on just before we do. So if you're watching live, go back and check out YouTube. And you can see them discuss some really hot topics every single day. Some really good debate back and forth. 
uh, the morning after every single day right here on Sports Grid. Uh, so yesterday we got the new. You know, it's like all the news we're getting this, these days are from Instagram. It's like crazy, and I don't even have Instagram, so it's. Well, sick. I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you and I. Still don't have it. I got a burner, basically. That's it. I, which, is, which is even funnier to me. It's like you have it, but you won't commit yeah, to it. Yeah, I have like a burner. It's like it's, it's a wonder. I'm going to have to do it eventually. It's just, it's just like, do it. I'll tell you what. I'll make sure no one follows you there. How's that? No messages, no, no I don't following. I want to start with something else on the phone. Well, you have to follow. The screen time to... is already way up from where it was, and, it, and they tell you every Sunday that the screen time is way well, up. Well, the Instagram is where you're getting a lot more of the uh, – some of these things right now that, that are popping off there, not not as much of Twitter, which is kind of funny to me because I feel like Twitter is so much more digestible. But the difference is there's so oh. much of a negative stigma on Twitter. Yeah, that's true. I think oh, that's where is where the comments and everybody, you know, whereas Instagram, people read less comments on Instagram. They like, they move on. There's a lot of discussion. Twitter, Facebook is a lot. Facebook is a lot more discussion. Uh, it's not really a discussion platform. I think that's why Instagram is where everyone's going to because they don't have to. They don't have to really get into it with anybody. All right, so uh, yesterday on Instagram, uh, Tua Tagovailoa decided that he's going to wear number one for the Miami Dolphins. Of course, he's not going to wear number 13. And there was a columnist that suggested that the Dolphins unretire number 13 for Tua, <laughs> which is insane. A columnist from where? From Orlando, actually. <laughs> what is he, 12? How old? How no, old? he's actually a really good columnist. Really, really, really? I mean, you have one great player. That's that's it. That's what you're gonna, like. You had Dan Marino in the last twenty years. That's that's the guy. Uh, look, look, there's there's some thought process that this needs to all stop, and they need to just stop retiring numbers. And then you don't have to go through this. But well, I mean, I guess here's the thing. It's like retiring. I mean, with the Yankees, forget it. I mean, we're running out of. I know numbers. they don't have any numbers. But though. I mean, that's the whole point. Is can we can we get to a point where you can retire, have a ceremony, retire the guy's jersey as a ceremonial thing? But, I mean, to have no one ever wear that number again, you know, it's one thing when you look up and say, oh, look, there's number three. That's for Babe Ruth. Or there's number six for, you know, this person. It, I mean, it's very hard to do. I don't know. The, the other part of it is, is that it really comes in handy when your team isn't good and you want to bring fans to the stands. They have retirement of the jersey number. It's oh, yeah. Deal. It's a huge deal. It's, so it's, I get it. It well, makes You sense. retire the jersey. I mean, the Dolphins. The Dolphins, number 13, really Dolphins, really Dolphins? I mean, that's the only one that would never be worn again. Come on, bro. Well, legitimately. So. Come on. Anyway, we'll, we'll move off that. So anyway, he's going to wear the number one jersey. And I'm not going to go through an exercise of every jersey in the country that I don't want to do. But I will say this, that the number one is interesting because I, I thought it would be a good exercise. And I always like when I miss stuff and I forget guys. So hopefully I did today, but we'll see. Uh, I always like when I forget uh, the number ones in the history of sports. So let's start with my first basic. I, I, I sort of ranked them. I, I feel like I sort of did, but, you know, I mean, not so much. Like, I don't spend a ton of time on it, but here are the the ones in, in the history of sports. And Ozzie Smith, to me, is my number one, number one. That, that to me, is the you know, my era of, of sports. And I remember him playing with the 80s and doing the flips. I mean, you always saw number one with St. Louis. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's a very nice guy. I, I got him number one. I got to say that if my era was in the 70s, I probably would have picked Oscar Robertson because by all accounts, for most people in doing my research, they feel like he is the number one, number one of all time. But he was not my era. So I'll put him at number two. 
Pee Wee Reese of the Brooklyn Dodgers. You grew up in Brooklyn in the 50s. You knew he was the number one, number one of all time at that time. Of course, they won a World Series championship, too. Uh, if you're a football fan, perhaps Warren Moon is your guy, another guy that's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the most popular number one of the last 50 years in football, that's for sure, too. And I've got uh, Penny Hardaway, who, when he came into the league, probably people thought that he would be at the top of all, and he's not, but he certainly is very popular and had a lot of really good years before the injury sort of kicked in. And then I got uh, Jim Thorpe here at the end because he wore number one. I wouldn't have guessed that. I did not know that. But by all accounts, he deserves to be in the conversation. So that's where we're going to start off with, and then I want to go to the honorable mentions. Well, I, I love the Ozzie Smith being number one, number one. He's 1-1, one, one, as they say in the business. 1-1 one, one draft. Well, I mean, also, I, when I think of the number one, it has to suit a certain body type for me. You know, I think because, you know, the single-digit guys, and Ozzie Smith had a single-digit body type. I think we could agree on that. Pee Wee Reese did, too. I, and I think that's great. You have to have that. But you can't have Aaron Judge wearing one. You know, Aaron Judge is funny, though. <laughs> it would be. Like, imagine just one. No, he wears 99. Like, you know, right. you can't have the bigs. I mean, could you imagine as a giant offensive uh, lineman? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just crazy there. Uh, but Ozzie Smith, yeah, that one we remember so often because we would see. I feel see, like he's a top. Oh, you see the back as he flipped, and he would right. see the jersey. See the one go upside down and invert itself. That was incredible. And I'll tell you what. Just because in the last segment we were talking about some of the all-time great quarterbacks don't get enough love, like Johnny Unitas, Warren Moon doesn't get enough either. Warren Moon did not play his entire career in the NFL. He also played in an era where it was very difficult for the black quarterback to get recognized with playing time number one and then with a job number two. And Warren Moon was an exceptional quarterback for many, many years. And in terms of the NFL, that's the only guy that I think of <laughs> in terms of number yeah, one. Yeah, me too. I think of him. Uh, Anthony Hardaway, I always think of the what if. That's another guy, too. And people forget how good Anthony Hardaway was. Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal, for that small window, were as good a duo. We talked about the great NBA Jam duos. There's another one for it. Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, oh yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. And when Shaq left, Penny initially was phen phenomenal also, right? And he was carrying them. It was, and then the injuries it was, just It's unfortunate. Started. He was a great player, great personality. And, of course, how could I forget the Little Penny commercial? Little Penny. Oh, Chris Rock doing Little Penny. Those were fantastic. That's when advertising was 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 making making you think with the Little Penny. There you go. <laughs> he was he was Jordan after Jordan, sort of. I mean, he was, he was. People thought that he was going to be. It was going to be Penny and uh, Kobe. Well, people thought he was going to be in that grouping. Yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, oh, and and uh, Brett just chimed me in too that uh, Trace McGrady wearing number one too. I forgot well, about. You know why 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 doesn't Brett just wait till we get to that? Oh well, Brett gets very excited. <laughs> and then we, we can get it to Tracy McGrady because he Whenever is on we the actually, next. <laughs> two of us <laughs> actually talk basketball. He's very excited. We've done a lot of basketball and freaking horse racing the last. Today's what, what's going on here with the show? All right, so without further ado, we give you the other number ones and Tracy McGrady. There you go, that's for you, baby. Uh, yeah, so McGrady came in after Penny, and I think that uh, McGrady went on to have a fantastic NBA, long NBA career. And I think that we all thought that Tracy McGrady was going to be the next best player in the NBA as well. But for a four year period, he kind of was, he was in the all star games and. Looked like it was going to be the case, and then I believe he forced his way out of Orlando, and oh, a lot of nonsense after that. A lot of nonsense. Uh, yeah, Chris Bosh uh, went from Toronto to Miami. He picked number one with Miami, won a championship with the Heat wearing number one as well. So, 
I think for at least recent awareness, we can put him in the conversation. Look, Richie Ashburn it was a phenomenal player, a Hall of Fame player with the Philadelphia Phillies. I, of course, never had a chance to see him play. But in most of the research that I did for this, Richie Ashburn is a all-time number one player. He wore it. He was the only one wearing one that was a big deal at the time in the 60s. So Ashburn goes on that list as well. Um, Billy Martin, the manager of the New York Yankees, uh, Joe, uh, he wore number one as well. I mean, when was the last time a manager wore number one? That's pretty cool, right? When was the last uh, time you see managers just wearing jerseys? <laughs> yeah, the for their jacket. Everyone's got the jacket on now. Nobody wears jerseys anymore. I like it. I mean, let's go back to the days with Connie Mack where everybody wore a suit and a bowler hat or whatever the hell that kind of hat he was wearing. That's what I want to see. Let's let's dress up Joe Madden like that one night. And then I found one from college, Anthony Carter, by most accounts, although he was he was a really good NFL player, too, with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, he sure was. But in college, he was one of the best wide receivers of all time. And he wore number one at Michigan. And at the time Anthony Carter went into the NFL, as you know, Joe, there were uh, different rules than they were now. Like, you couldn't come out of the NFL and pick number 18 mm -hmm. or pick number 20 or pick number right. 16 or 6. Now, I don't think they care now. Uh, back then, it was if you were a receiver, you were 80 through 89, right? Like, that was yeah. pretty much it. Billy Martin fits the whole body type of the number one, too. You know, and and just a just a complete tortured soul. I watched actually a couple weeks ago. There was a, uh, a Net, MLB Network did you know yeah. the one, but that the, the one about Billy Martin is terrific. I mean, it really goes in depth about those years of him being the Oakland A's manager too, and that style of baseball, which is really fantastic to watch. Uh, you, the run he had in Texas too, which was success. Everywhere he went, he was successful, and everywhere he went, he burned other people out on him. And it's a shame because one of the great baseball minds, but a real tortured individual uh, who had obviously his demons to deal with. And it's a shame because he had a lot to offer the game. And the, the drama of getting hired and fired by George Steinbrenner five different times is it's <laughs> can you even imagine that in this day and age, somebody going back four or five times with a manager back and forth. I mean, the things that happened in the seventies and eighties compared to now in sports I mean, how often does a guy even get rehired once, let alone back and forth a hundred times with the same guy? What a relationship between those two guys. Just absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's it's a stunning. Good point. That, that's what's changed a lot in the last 10 years. You get second chances on other teams. But but mm -hmm. even but not even as much as you used to. Those NBA coaches used to get recycled sure. over and over again and in baseball over. And now it's almost like if you don't succeed the first time, you may not get another chance. I mean, there the guys don't move around. Nearly and imagine, as much as imagine if that had been the case, you wouldn't have had Joe Torre. You wouldn't have yeah, had Joe Torre managed uh, a million teams. There's a couple other managers. Uh, I, I'm sure if I sit and think about it over the break, uh, that were Jack not McKeon, Jack McKeon, Dick Williams. Sure, they were not all successful out of the gate. Sometimes it takes time and the right players in the right situation. So. Uh, I think baseball should recognize that and realize that. Now, Billy Martin's the opposite. He was always successful. Sometimes he got fired when he was in first place. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Lou Pinella. Yeah, Lou Pinella, too. Manager Joe Girardi. For a short period of time. But, you know, Lou Pinella is another guy that I, I – when you look back at the managing career of Lou Pinella, the run he had with the Reds, winning that title, the incredible teams he had in Seattle – I think Lou Pinello is a Hall of Fame manager, and I would love to see Lou go in someday because it's a shame it ended so poorly. But yes, the first two stops he had were great. They thought that he—I mean, it's really wild that he couldn't get Tampa going because as soon as he left and Joe Madden came in, he did. It's a little. Uh, little I think strange. he was a little burned out by then. I—I I, I, I think that's what it was, and it's a younger team, and I think sometimes you just—you're just done. 
But those Seattle Mariner teams, I know they don't have the, the title to show for it, but my goodness. I mean, that's, what, do you want to, what was that one year uh, back in, what, 2001? How many games did they win? 111 or something yeah. like that? Uh, that's just staggering how good those teams were. All right. Uh, speaking of which, in the mid-90s, late-90s, the Mariners were the cream of the crop in the AFC uh, – the AFC. In the American, <laughs> League, in the American League West. Seattle and the AL West. Football, baseball. Uh, coming up next, we're going to take a look in baseball history. Go back to 1995, dive a little bit deeper into what happened that season. You may find some things interesting. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today right after this. Don't go back. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, Craig Bish, along with Joe Pizapia on FST. Those of you who have been following, we've been doing our League of Legends fantasy drafts. You can go to fantasyleaguelegends.com to check out all the teams that we have been playing with, playing against. I'm actually doing okay in the 80s league. I don't think I'm going to make the postseason, but my team is really good. I'm a few games back uh, as they simulate those games on uh, out-of-the-park baseball. There's also a 90s league as well, and I was involved in all those drafts. We also aired those drafts on Fantasy Alarm. You can check out those live streams at fantasyalarm.com. Uh, but for today, Joe, we're going to check out a season in baseball, which for a lot of people, it was a little bit of a, a mixed bag because uh, 1994, you had the MLB strike and the season ended, and then it even went into the uh, 1995 spring training. And then, uh, you know, baseball was was brought back a little bit, but it wasn't really met with the same excitement before the strike until, of course, uh, Cal Ripken uh, had his streak and, and broke the record. That was a big moment. And then, of course, uh, the later on with uh, McGuire and Sosa hitting all those home runs in 98. Yeah, well, look, I think when you're looking at the 95 season, the reason why to start the series of random seasons that we're going to be doing here on the program is a perfect one to start with because this is what we're going to have. We're going to have a season that starts late. And I was looking for a year where that happened, and there you go. It's 1995, as you said, after the strike. And it's fascinating because what you have here is a season that started on April 25th, obviously a lot later, and went till late October, October 28th. <clears throat> so that's when the season actually ended. So we'll see. Maybe they will go that long, and maybe we will have November baseball this year in playoffs. Who knows? It's unlikely, but anything can happen. Uh, the first off, uh, the top draft pick that year, a little fun fact, was – Darren Erstad was drafted number one overall, for those of you who remember uh, those Angel teams that uh, in the early 2000s became pretty good in the late 90s. Good Troy Gloss, a really good athlete overall. Darren Erstad was certainly one of those guys that uh, was part of that with Garrett Anderson and, and all those guys. So there's your, there's your guy who was number one overall in the draft. The MVPs that year, Mo Vaughn and Barry Larkin. And Mo Vaughn, once upon a time, you want to talk about windows of greatness. Mo Vaughn was definitely it. Mo Vaughn was that prototypical slugger. He looked like a slugger. He looked like you'd be afraid of him. Had an incredible batting stance. Just a big guy. He looked like he played uh, like an offensive lineman or a defensive tackle. And he was a baseball player. I mean, that's a totally different thing. And his name, Mo Vaughn, I mean, it just, it just fit. And uh, unfortunately, Mo Vaughn didn't get that second leg of his career 
that folks were hoping for in New York. But when he was a Boston Craig, he was a beast. Yeah, he got hurt going into the dugout trying to catch a ball. That's that's what, uh, I mean, his career kept going, but he was never the same. I believe he had some meniscus tear or something, and for whatever reason, they didn't fix it the way that they wanted to, and his and his career and was just never the same after that. But well, there's no doubt that with Boston, uh, he was an absolute superstar, and then when he went to the Angels, not so much. Also, uh, Darren Erstad, I should mention, uh, played football at Nebraska. I believe he is the head uh, baseball coach at Nebraska. Oh, really? Well, look at that. Look at that. And the other uh, MVP in the National League was Barry Larkin. This was kind of that that crown jewel, that final piece for that Hall of Fame career in 1995. Uh, we all know how great Barry Larkin was, a steady present there with the Reds for many, many years at shortstop. Uh, now, I'm trying to remember. W- did Barry Larkin wear number one, too, or where he wore 11? Is that what I'm thinking? He wore 11. Sounds right. right. He doesn't yes. fit with our one. He's got the two ones. I knew there were ones, but I know we were talking about the number yeah, ones Bar- earlier. Barry Larkin was an interesting case because when he came up to the big leagues in 1986 uh, mm-hmm. and even into 1987, he, he really, I mean, he was well thought of, but I don't know that a lot of people thought that he would end up having the Hall of Fame career, and he credits uh, Dave Parker right. for really uh, – you know, just kind of setting him straight. Dave Parker did that with a few guys that he went to over the course of Another his career. Another guy that should be in the Hall of Fame. And 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 it's so sad because the man's dealing with an illness. Yeah. And I know he was swagger before swagger and athletes was more acceptable. And, I mean, I, I'd love to see Dave Parker get in because Dave Parker in his era was a dominant player. And I he think was. that matters. In the, I mean, in the uh, late 70s and into the 80s. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dave Parker, you fearsome. Dave Parker. Uh, in the postseason that year, the AL champions were the Cleveland Indians. Uh, they beat the Seattle Mariners, who we were just talking about. 95 is also that great playoff run there for the Mariners where they beat the Yankees in that game, that famous game where, uh, of course, you have that moment there where Ken Griffey Jr. slides and comes around from first base because he knows a ball hit the left field. As he said, he knows that he could score on that one because the turf there was a little soft and the ball would slow down. And he had that one extra gear. His wife even said to him that day, she said, I know you can run that fast. She said, shh, don't tell everybody I can run that fast. I got to save it for once in a while. Uh, But uh, that was a great moment in those playoffs. And unfortunately, on the sad end of that, that was the end of Don Mattingly. The Yankees went on to win in 1996, but that was the last game for Don Mattingly. And uh, kind of sad that if he hung on one more year, he might have had that ring that it was so elusive for him. Yeah, it's like he and Larry Bird, they had the back issues and had their injuries cut short. Yeah. I think Bird would have played a few more years, too, and the you know, Magic kept playing. I think Bird would have also. But you remember those vi- those shots of Bird laying on the ground on the court during games? Like, he just couldn't even walk. And uh, Dave Winfield had a back injury also that limited him. In fact, Winfield, I think, missed a whole year with a back injury yeah. in, uh, in baseball. But I think my takeaway from 95, um, you mentioned Cleveland. Of course, Atlanta ended up winning the World Series. But... No one ever mentions Albert Bell when they talk about great uh, players. Well, and you're Albert lucky Bell's because Diamond Betts does, because Diamond Betts got into a big discussion about left fielders. We got a big discussion about Albert Bell. So tune into that on Sunday. But you're I, right. Go ahead. Albert I, Bell was terrific. I had a good relationship with him through the years. He was on the White Sox, and so mm-hmm. I covered him in spring training. And he did interviews with me, and we got along pretty well. I sometimes... I mean, I don't get along with everyone that I interview, and I certainly don't have perfect relationships with every player. But for some reason, like, we, we hit it off a little bit. I've always – I mean, I always went in, like, not scared, basically, with him. I went in just kind of like, hey, like, let's just do it. 
let's do our interviews. And he did great interviews with me uh, for the spring, like three years in a row or two years in a row. I, I don't remember how long it was, but it was a couple times. Well, those 90s Indians were special teams. And he too. was just – he was just – his numbers are insane. The chart, 50 home runs, 123 runs scored, 120-some RBI. But he couldn't get along with anyone. Nope. He fought with everybody. He did. <laughs> he, he had a horrible attitude, which is probably what made him great, mm -hmm. but he just – he couldn't ever get it together, but he was a beast at, on the field. And, look, he's never going to get in the Hall of Fame. But no. at the end of his career, also, he just basically, like, quit, you know? Like, he, he had, he's like, ah, I got a bad hip, I'm done. But, yeah, like, I'm not, I'm going to keep playing. Yeah. So he didn't play, and he got paid for years. I know. I mean, he had those Orioles, years of Baltimore, just kept getting too, yeah. paid, just, yeah. like, to not <laughs> play. In fact, I remember going to spring training and his name is on the roster like for two years in a row look the guy just didn't didn't need to be there i don't know if they just didn't have they must have not had the insurance covered at the time with him i'm not Maybe. really sure what happened but it was just so such a poor it was sad because of how good he was but you know the the wrong personality for such a long season <laughs> you know it's just you know i mean it's a it's a grind and i think when you have personalities that are difficult to deal with it kind of just magnifies itself. It could be they take the negative and make it 10 times worse, potentially. But he was a great player. Those teams with Manny Ramirez, Charles yeah. Nagy, uh, Carlos Baerga, Omar Jim Tomey. I mean, Omar Vizquel. I mean, such... I think Bell had 50 home runs and 50 doubles. He did. In uh, I, I don't know if it was – was it the 95? It might have been the 95. It might have been this one where he had that. And, of course, this is the one lone championship. We were talking about the Braves yesterday on our stadium series. And this was it. This was the one lone championship for the Braves, quote unquote, dynasty here. Yeah. And uh, it, it was it's sad that the Cleveland team during that era didn't get one because John Hart did an incredible job building that roster from nothing. And then seeing it into the post Bell years, too, because there, there was a lot of people when Bell left that, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And then Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and those guys coming of age really kind of picked up the ball and ran with it, basically, and were just terrific. Um, statistical leaders during uh, then, the batting average title, obviously the uh, the uh, winning the batting title of the year was Edgar Martinez with a 356 average. And get this one, Tony Gwynn with a 368. You don't see guys hitting 368 in modern-day no, baseball. they don't try. So they don't try. They're not trying to do it. But you're right. Uh, there's Albert Bell hitting 50 home runs that year, 126 RBI. And yeah. uh, the big year in the National League, was Dante Bichette with 40 home runs and 128 RBI. Yeah, it rocky. Yeah. But it was also the, those Rocky teams. It was him and Larry Walker and uh, trying to, and Andres Galarraga. Those are the bombers. Vinny Castillo was was monster yeah. at third base. He had he 40 was, home he, runs, 100 RBIs every year. He was indeed. And uh, on the pitching side of things, you had Mike Bucina. Uh, winning 19 games, Greg Maddox with 19. Uh, the strikeout leaders those years were Randy Johnson with 294 and Hideo Nomo with 236, which uh, there's a name that people forget. Hideo Nomo came over, and he basically uh, took the league by storm. He was he Rookie of the Year uh, in 1995 as well and led the National League in strikeouts. That's a pretty darn good debut as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and the Dodgers have had those transcended players. They they find a way, you know. Um, it probably started back with Valenzuela when he came up in 81. Uh, they had you know, Fernando Mania. They had Nomo Mania. And then the one after that was Puig. You know, it was Puig Mania, too. <laughs> yep. It's like they have done a phenomenal job for decades Always. finding players that are international and it All the way back to the stop. Pedro Guerrero days. I remember Pedro Guerrero, too, being one of those. Uh, the uh, rookie of the year in the American League was Marty Cordova, 
who we all remember with the Minnesota Twins. Cy Young yeah. was Greg Maddox, of course, and Randy Johnson. I mean, two of the all-time best. You want to talk about a greatest living pitcher? I don't know. It might be a debate between those two guys. <laughs> I mean, in terms of longevity and dominance, I mean, it's pretty good. Clemens, too. Yeah. Manager of the year, Don Baylor with Colorado. Wow, I Talk about a guy that. who got a lot of second chances as a manager. Don Baylor definitely did. Lou Pinella with 95. MVP, as we said before, was Larkin and Vaughn. But here's a fun one. Stolen bases. Kenny Lofton with 54 when guys used to steal 40, 50 bases. And here's a name from the past from your neck of the woods, down with the Marlins. Kilvio Vanas. Remember him? 56 steals in 1995. So there you have it. And the All-Star game that year, uh, Frank Thomas won the home run derby with 16 home runs. Nowadays, you need what, like 37? for one round. (laughs) Right. How about some perspective there? With that, and actually, Jeff Conine was MVP. The MVP, of the All Star game. It was a big year, right. big year for the Marlins in '95. How about that? I have that bobblehead joke. Put it, send it right there behind you. I would love to. You send the Jeff Conine bobblehead to my house. I make will make list. special space for the Jeff yeah. Conine. Yeah, the night look, look, the '90s was a really interesting era because even at this time, we were just starting to get into the massive home run totals. Because right. even in the mid '90s and early '90s, it felt like the '80s. But you also had the expansion too. And when when you this couple of years post expansion, when the when the pitching got watered down, you add in Colorado, you add in PEDs. It's a cocktail for enormous enormous offense. Yeah, Rockies were just unstoppable hitting wise <laughs> during that era. It's a, you went to Colorado, you had a great year. That's just the way. <laughs> I mean, the list is insane during it that is. time. All right, uh, we got to uh, take a quick time out. We got hour number two coming up next. For those of you who are on YouTube, just uh, add our show right now to your playlist. And so as soon as the show ends, the second hour of the show will begin. we got a lot to cover, including our stadium tour, two different places that we're going to discuss. We'll tell you a little bit about that a little bit later on. Also, if you are watching on one of the streaming apps, cool. But remember, on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe and then hit that little notifications button. And then this way, when our show does go to YouTube, it immediately you'll get a notification right to your phone, just like all the YouTube videos that we all have. Uh, Sports Grid is on that list, too, so make sure you add us as well. We'll be right back here on FST, Joe and Craig, after this quick break. Don't go away. We're right back after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. 